This is the, the Youth, the down, youth south down South Podcast. The Youth Down South Podcast, a show for youth leaders and young adults. Hey, listeners. I am so excited to tell you about our upcoming Territorial Youth Institute for 2022. It's going to be held at Camp Walter Johnson from July 25th through August 1st. This year, the theme is Rise Up, Unashamed, Unafraid, Unstoppable. The registration goes live at the end of April. Make sure you keep your eyes peeled on our social media. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Youth Down South podcast. I'm Caleb Loudon. And I'm Jesse Fagerstrom. And we are so glad that you have joined us for another episode of the Youth Down South podcast. We have a really great podcast to introduce to you today sure do. and on a very special day, which I think we might just want to start off by sharing with the listeners who aren't aware, which I think everyone's probably aware of this fact already, but in case you haven't heard out there, yep. today is National Cereal Day. Yeah, wow. And you know what else it is? National Flapjack Day. You're having a, a cornucopia <laughs> this morning for breakfast. Seri- <laughs> so like, we got flapjacks, we got some cereal happening. Wow. What a breakfast. <laughs> The breakfast of champions. Yeah. I mean, come on, you're eating your bowl of, you know, Wheaties. Fruity Pebbles. Does anyone like Wheaties, really? I, I don't. No. no. What do you, what's your cereal no, choice? No, I, you know, I, uh, you know, you'd think I grew up on a farm or something because I'm an oats girl. I like my, oh. I like my morning oats. Is that weird? It makes me like a horse. I, I don't even know, how, like, how to buy oats. <laughs> <laughs> they have all different kinds too, Caleb. They really? have old fashioned, they have steel cut, all sorts of different types oh. of oats for you to choose oh. from. <laughs> wow. That sounds pretty rough, doesn't it? I mean, I was hope I was thinking maybe Captain Crunch okay, or uh, you know, Lucky Charms or something with uh you know, one of your dessert cereals. That's yep. the, that's the genre of cereal I kind of swim in. Cocoa is Puffs. Cocoa what about, Puffs. What about uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Cocoa Puffs is great because you walk away with a twofer because you have chocolate milk after the fact. Oh, so, I didn't consider that. I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm a man who likes to really maximize my dollar, you know. <laughs> and if you can get two products for the price of one. Sure. Bada and boom, bada bing, bada bang. I mean, speaking of a really tasty, hearty meal... Yeah. You had a very hearty conversation with a certain oh, someone. Can you tell us about uh, man, who we're did I hear ever. about? Mark Matlock, the uh, insight lead for the Barna Group, which is the leading research group in the whole world, I think, wow. researching the intersection of faith and culture, uh, was on our program, Jesse. And Ooh. do we call it a program? Do people still special, use the special on, program <laughs> <laughs> listeners on our program? Uh, and I, we had a great talk. He has so much to to say, so many insights that have been uh, garnered through lots of research over decades uh, of interviewing young adults. And in particular, what we talked about was one of his more recent books, Faith for Exiles, which came out in 2019. And is a book uh, in which um, him and his co-author David Kinnaman hmm. uh, really unpack this research they did around the idea of resilience in the hmm. church and what what is it that leads to someone being a resilient Christian, having resilient faith, and in particular, young people. What produces uh, a young resilient disciple? Someone who 
not only um, can articulate what they believe, but when the pressure comes, when they're in an environment that is um, not conducive to their faith or even hostile to their faith, what is it that allows them to persevere? And they compare resilient disciples to other categories of Christians that they have been able to uh, discover through their research, like churchgoers who are habitual, habitual churchgoers. Mm -hmm. And they've come up with these different distinctions through the research that I think are just fascinating and also inspiring Mm. because they are pointers for us in uh, helping us understand the direction in which the church should go. So I'm really excited about this podcast. Mark Matlock is uh, a world-renowned speaker on these issues, um, someone who has a, a breadth of experience and knowledge to offer. and. We're very fortunate to have him on the YDS podcast today. He, sound, he sounds like a pretty smart dude. Yeah. Oh, and he all, and we talk about this a little bit too. Is a certified. I'm not going to get this right, but I'm going to try. Lego facilitator. What? Where, Tell me more. Where you lead group work through the wonder that is Lego. Ing. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I want to know. Is more. Lego a verb? I don't know. <laughs> to Lego. To Lego. <laughs> But uh, hey, this is a great show, so without further ado, here we go. So, all right, now it's recording. Well, hello, listeners. We are excited to have with us today a very special guest, Mr. Mark Matlock of the Barna Group. Barna Group is probably the leading research group on the intersection of faith and culture, and we are extremely excited to have their um, one of their insight leads with us today, Mark Matlock. Mark is a facilitator of innovation and impact, helping organizations adapt to changing times by turning research-based insights into action. He's the founder of WisdomWorks LLC, a consultancy helping churches and faith-based organizations leverage their collective wisdom and insight to innovate and adapt in changing times. Mark is also the author of more than 20 books for teens and parents, and in 2019 co-authored the book Faith for Exiles, which is the book we will be discussing today, a really uh, incredible and exciting book that's been uh, a gift to me and to a team I serve on in in the ministry we do to young adults. So uh, the last thing I might say about Mark that I think is worth noting is that he is a Lego serious play facilitator, which I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what that means, but I'd love to hear more about that. It's really good to have Mark Matlock on the Youth Down South show. Mark, welcome to the Youth Down South podcast. Hey, Caleb, thanks for having me. Really glad to be here with you today. Yeah. And so what is a Lego serious play uh, facilitator? <laughs> I, mean, I think it's definitely worth putting in your bio, but I uh, wasn't sure exactly what that was. Yeah, well, it's actually a, a method that was created using Legos to facilitate interactions for kind of um, you use the bricks as metaphors and you actually can build operating systems and then play with uh, what kind of how change or different uh, occurrences might impact the organization, the system, the product, whatever it is that you're you're working on. And there's actually seven levels of Lego serious play. And wow. uh, I've been been trained in all seven. So, wow. um, but yeah, it's a, 
you know, it's funny because a lot of organizations, when they come in and they see the Legos, they kind of laugh a little bit like, oh, great, you know, it's a team building exercise or something. But then at the end of the day, they're like, I'm exhausted. This is this is really hard work. Uh, but what's great is that you're taking ideas and you're making them tangible and then able to play with them on the table in relationship to the rest of the team's ideas and input. So it helps kind of make visual uh, what's going on, and it gets 100% of the brain power of the room engaged 100% of the time, and that's the the real beauty of it. So I use it a lot when I'm working with groups as we're trying to understand what's going on and try to figure out where it could possibly go into the future. Well, I, that sounds like such a cool and fascinating way to do group work, and you know, really affirms the like hundreds of hours I spent as a child and perhaps even up to this day playing with Legos, um, you know, perhaps even up to this day. I love that. <laughs> yeah, my, my office is filled with Legos. They're still not built. And Barna's president, David Kinneman, he also is a, a Lego maniac. And so, uh, yeah, he's, he's building the Titanic right now in his living room. So. I mean, I, I just think that whatever success I can claim in my life uh, might, I think most of it probably is in part to the time I spent playing with Legos. I don't know, just there's some great life lessons there, I think. Uh, at least that's what I'm going to continue to tell myself as I continue to play with Legos. As a third one. <laughs> Good for you. The play is a really important part of change and thinking about the future. We all need to be able to play. And uh, adults who play with Legos continue to experience that you know, joyfulness, but also just that, that idea that you can play with something and you don't have to take it so seriously. And I think that's what's really uh, important. Another uh, cool part of the work you've done is this book that you've co-authored with David Kinneman called Faith for Exiles. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. Um, but before we get to it, I thought you might also share a little bit more about yourself and how you have uh, come to do the work that you do. Yeah, so I, I actually uh, went to college at Biola University out in California, and my kind of what I thought God was calling me to is to be an anthropological consultant for Wycliffe Bible Translators. And wow. so I started studying intercultural studies, things of that nature. Um, thinking that maybe I would go and, you know, do that kind of work in um, in the Bible translation space. But God had other plans. Uh, on a mission trip that I went on, I was able to use some magic tricks that I had learned as a kid to um, kind of gather crowds where we could share the gospel. And when I came back, I thought, you know, I should keep doing this magic thing. And so I actually became a member of the uh, Magic Castle in Beverly Hills. Uh, in Hollywood there and um, started learning how to do more and more illusions, things like that. I had friends that were in ministry. They're like, Hey, come do something for our youth group. Come do something for our children's program. I actually did one of the divisional gatherings when I was in college for the Salvation Army in um, Southern California. And uh, that was a, a really fun time, but that was, uh, um, uh, but that led me into youth ministry. Uh, unexpectedly. And I really fell in love with working with teenagers and helping them find and follow Jesus. And that began 25 years of doing conferences. Um, I also worked with uh, was the executive director of youth specialties for a number of years. 
um, one of the leading publishers of youth ministry materials and um, training conferences. And um, but during that time, I started doing research with uh, David Kinneman, who was a relatively young college graduate out of Biola as well, uh, different years. But um, and uh, George said there needs to be more youth ministry research. If you'll work with David, you know I'll give you a deal uh, on this research. And so I was able to do research on young people um, fairly effectively, and that built in David and I a friendship that just has continued. And when I stepped away from my role at Youth Specialties to serve uh, more organizations through uh, Wisdom Works. Um, David said, maybe this is that moment for us to write that book that we had been wanting to write. And we'd already looked at other questions and other research projects we'd done, other books that David had written in terms of how do the unchurched people look at uh, Christians and unchristian. Um, you Lost Me was about the dropout problem, those that were kind of leaving church uh, after they had grown up in it. But we were really curious about this group who was staying. Why are they staying? What is contributing to that? Is there something we can learn about that and do more of it? And that's what led us into uh, this work. And when I left you, especially as I started working uh, more closely with Barna, as well as the consultancy. So I do uh, about a third of my time with Barna and then two thirds working with other organizations. And uh, a lot of it's helping them take research insights from Barna or other places and then applying those into action in their context. Oh, so that's awesome. the that's the story from 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 anthropological consulting to magic to youth ministry to research to consulting. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite the uh, incredible trajectory there and I think just one illustration of the amazing ability God has to you know take us to where he wants to um, lead us and through some, you know, maybe some unusual uh, uh, pathways, uh, like doing magic, which for those listening, if you have a youth event coming up that you would like to hire Mark Matlock as a magician for, I don't know if uh, <laughs> he's still in, in that in that game or not, but. Uh, <laughs> I do. I actually did a Kickstarter project. I did a magic show. I just finished doing five of them uh, based on wow. Psalm 90. It's called Number Our Days, and it's kind of magic with meaning. Um, to it. And it kind of explores how short life is. It's kind of a magic show about death. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like a, like a Pixar movie these days, you know, the like kids. Like, yeah, that's like, right. Oh, they're pretty heavy. Topics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that sounds great. Um, so I, you're, I'm cracking a joke, but here you are, already, you know, still doing some ministry through magic, which is really, really cool. Well, you talked there about this, um, you know, looking into this research question of what is it about these young people that's causing them to stick around? You know, we've done all this research on folks leaving, but what about the folks that are um, staying around? And that raises this concept that you have in your book, Faith for Exiles, of a resilient disciple, a resilient young disciple. And I wonder if you might describe for us briefly just what makes a resilient disciple? What are the traits uh, that seem to define a res resilient disciple? You know, what, what, what is that? Yeah, over the last couple of words, the word resilient has become kind of a buzzy 
term mm-hmm. in business and uh, even in our churches. Still, it amazes me how many people don't fully understand what it means. And, um, you know, a lot of times we've talked about, we need to give our kids a strong faith. We need them to have a faith that lasts. And we think of like a pyramid or a monument, um, something that stands over time. The problem is a pyramid or a monument isn't resilient. If it gets dismantled, it cannot rebuild itself. Whereas a rainforest, uh, you know, or a forest is resilient. So like when, if a bomb went off on a, um, you know, on a pyramid, it would not reassemble itself over time. That pyramid is, is done. So, even though it was very strong and may have lasted a really long time, it was fragile. Uh, it was not resilient. Whereas you take a look at like uh, Mount St. Helens, uh, this volcanic disruption that happened in, you know, years ago, and uh, it wiped out these forests for miles and covered the ground with volcanic ash. And they said, everything's going to, is dead. You know, it'll take hundreds of years to grow back. And then it turned out, it didn't take that long. It was resilient. It had the ability to come back and, and new life is starting to really grow and develop in that area where, you know, it was believed that it was going to take hundreds of years for it to fully reforest. So it's amazing, you know, this resilient thing. And so what we were looking at is how do we build a faith that isn't just strong, but is resilient. And that idea of resilience is that it can bend, it can flex a little bit, but it doesn't break. It doesn't snap. And sometimes even when it's in the process of bending, giving under the weight of the culture, it's actually becoming stronger too. Mm -hmm. And that's how we envision resilience. So when we talk about resilient disciples, we're looking for those who are able to kind of, you know, deal with the, the weight of the moment and still maintain their faithfulness to God through it. And, you know, that, that comes not just from the world, there's worldly influence. That's, that's a weight on faith, but there's also just the kind of the institutional church right now that also has some flaws and was built for a different era. The church is always going to be relevant. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. We know this, the church is resilient, but some of its forms may change over time. Some of its structures and systems may be fragile. And so what we found in these resilience uh, disciples were they weren't just able to put up under the stand up under the, the weight of pressure culturally from the world, but also from within the church too and the systems. And that's what allowed them to remain faithful. Whereas others were saying, I still want to believe in God, but I'm going to take it on the road outside the church which didn't work, hasn't worked really well for them, but that's kind of, they left the church. Somehow these resilience have been able to, to stay in both spaces. That's been really fascinating. In the book too, there's also mentioned these five uh, components of being a resilient disciple. Could you speak to those as well? Um, just the kind of five uh, key character traits, I guess you might say. Yeah. So we found that there were basically four, four types of people that fit kind of the category of who we were looking for, which was people who at some point in time in their life considered themselves Christian. And they either currently consider themselves Christians or at some point in their past did. And those four groups of people that were totally unchurched, never considered themselves a Christian. They were not a part of this research. 
We were just looking for people who had at some point in time in their life um, or and currently or currently uh, consider themselves to be a Christian. And from that, we found there are four groups. There are prodigals. Those were ex-Christians. There were nomads. Those are people who said, I still believe in Jesus, but I don't want to belong to a church. Then we had habituals. These are people who don't have a really strong doctrinal understanding of what the Bible teaches, but they're going to church pretty regularly. But faith is not very central to their life, but they're attending. And then we have this other group called resilience. And those resilience are the ones that we were really kind of profiling and wanting to learn from. So when we asked these four groups all kinds of questions about the churches that they grew up in, the homes that they grew up in, what their experience of God and Jesus were like, and what kind of practices did they experience during their day, all these different questions, we found that there were statistically kind of five themes that held together through all that profiling that we did. And the first was that resilience. Uh, are experiencing Jesus in a in a very relational way. And they're able to get rid of all the religious clutter that exists in our church to really find joy in Christ. Um, and that's really, really critical. Now, what's interesting is a lot of pastors say, well, we experience Jesus at our church. But what our research shows is that there are a lot of people attending church, that young people that aren't experiencing Jesus in the same way as we might think that they are. And so... There is this internal conversation and dialogue that we need to really be in tune with just because they're coming to church doesn't mean they're experiencing Jesus. The second concept uh, was meaningful relationships. And you would think, well, these habituals must have great relationships. That's why they're coming to church. Uh, but they actually didn't. Um, resilience had much deeper and more broad intergenerational relationships and connections than the habituals did. And those were really critical to their resilience. As you can imagine, having a network, a web of relationships in your life, especially with those that are older than you, would be really critical when you're going through a difficult time or you're trying to navigate your career to be able to find somebody who's also a believer in that same career or who's had the same experience or whatever the case is. You can leverage that wisdom in your own life as a young person. The third area was around cultural discernment, this idea that I know how to use the Bible to make sense of what's going on in the world around me. We found that resilience did that very well, and they were using the Bible to inform the decisions and the choices they were making more so than the habituals. So they're going to church almost at the same frequency, but they're having really different experiences with how they're using scripture, how they're experiencing Jesus, how they're experiencing other Christians in their life. The fourth thing was vocational discipleship. Um, this idea that they saw their talents and their vocational interests as being an extension of their ministry. It was also something that they were following Jesus with. So it didn't mean that they're just going into full-time ministry or they're going to be worship leaders or missionaries or whatever, but they were actually like, I'm a doctor. And I see that as a way that I am, you know, healing people in the way that Jesus healed people. Um, I'm going into sciences because these applied science are helping us leverage, you know, farming or whatever it is to, to help people flourish. So they saw what they did as an extension of who they were. And there was an integration of vocation and their faith. 
it wasn't just church is something that I do on Sunday. And then I do something else when I go to work during the week. And then the, uh, the fifth thing was living on countercultural mission, mm-hmm. recognizing that at different times, their faith was going to call them to moments of epic trust in the same way that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther, all experienced these moments where they were maybe assimilating with the culture they were in. They were, you know, but there were moments where it was like, oh, I can't go there. You know, that's something that crosses a line in who it is that I'm trusting. You know, Daniel saying, uh, I can't not pray. You know, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. still going to pray to God. Uh, I'm going to trust him in, in this moment, in this face of adversity. So it isn't about a culture war. It's about trusting God in those moments where the culture maybe isn't trusting or even dissuading us from trusting God. So those are the five things. We've just um, gone through this period of time or still really living through this period of time of of being in the midst of pandemic. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we all had to learn this new vocabulary of um, of self-isolating or quarantine or social distancing. Uh, And the whole church had to learn new habits of uh, being to just enable the church to continue. Um, And every church leader, no matter who they might have been, had these difficult choices to make for how the church was going to continue to do mission when mission was going to have to look very different than before. Faith for Exiles was published in 2019, uh, just a few months probably before the pandemic really began. And so here we are now in 2022, I wonder um, if you had the opportunity to uh, attach to this uh, a new epilogue. Um, what would be something that you might include in that epilogue? Where are some changes or some additions you might make to Faith for Exiles, given what you know now here in 2022 on this side of the pandemic? So, so yeah, the, the book came out literally about six months before you know, the lockdowns began. We've since, um, we've since actually done a little follow-up research uh, to see how some of these groups were being affected during the pandemic. One of the interesting things that we found in these 18 to 29 year olds um, was David and I had this feeling about habituals that it was almost like they had their hand on the door, right? Mm -hmm. Like they were getting ready to walk out and they just needed the right moment to know to turn the knob and, and walk through the door. And for some of them, that may have been graduation uh, from high school. It may have been college. Uh, it may have been some other life event. But we kind of just sensed that in reading through the research and the data and what it was telling us. And the pandemic seems to have actually been, for many of them, that event. So... You know, one of the themes that we saw when we looked at that habitual group and how large it was, making about 38% of those 18 to 29-year-olds who had at some point in time in their life are currently identified as a Christian, some of the greatest opportunities that we have to reach out to people are within our own walls. Hmm. We're looking and seeing attendance and going, oh, we've got them, or they're here, 
But if we're not really engaging their interior life and the path that God has them on, that was another major theme that we had in this was, this was, uh, you know, how are we raising disciples in digital Babylon? And David and I typed these two words or didn't type it. We wrote them on a post-it initially, but it kind of changed the way we were thinking about things. And that was the screens disciple. And so it used to be, if you just got a certain amount of time with a young person at church, that did a good job. But the reality is, is that, um, that it is very difficult for the small amount of time that we get at church, especially when it's just us speaking from a stage, perhaps, to actually shape and spiritually form a life under the weight of what their screen time is giving them every single day of the week. They're going to their screens with their questions spiritually or otherwise before they're coming to us or other trusted advisors, their parents, even their friends. And so they have a whole new, there's a whole new influence and we don't, it's the algorithms that's choosing who they're probably likely to find more than it is the truth. And so, or the way of Jesus. And so we have to be really mindful of that as leaders. Um, And I think, you know, as we went into this lockdown period, um, one of the kind of joys in having written the book when I did is that a lot of seminary classes and a lot of youth ministry cohorts were reading through the book. And I was literally grounded at home. And so people were inviting me to come and just do Q&A with people who are reading the book and their seminary classes and their youth ministry courses and whatnot. And it was fascinating, but almost all of them said, this book is prophetic. Mm. And if I were going to write an epilogue, a new epilogue, I would be begging people to pay attention to what the book is telling us. As somebody who's doing research and trying to share with the church, this is what we're seeing. This is what we know we need to do. It's amazing to me how many people ignore the data. They ignore what it's telling them and they don't take time and go, what must I do to respond to this? What I hear more people trying to do is say, well, that data doesn't apply to us or that can't possibly be our reality rather than asking the question, what if this is true? What if this data is actually accurate? Um, because had people started taking it seriously before the pandemic, we would have seen a lot more resilient faith during the pandemic. What, what really happened during the pandemic is we realized people don't have resilient faith. They don't know how to continue to uh, take care of themselves when the, the presence of the church is maybe different than it normally is. Uh, you know, when we, we look at where people were turning to put their hope and their trust during that time. And sure enough, we saw a lot of those habituals uh, stop attending church uh, during that time. And a lot of them have not come back. So we really need to focus on that group and make re- re- outreach to that group. I think that's one of our, our primary opportunities. Another thing that we didn't spend enough time on is one of the things that we found is that this generation doesn't just want the gospel to be true. They want it to be good. Mm. And I say that because I've always admired the Salvation Army and the fact that you are focused on trying to do the most good. And um, I I wish that more Christians ask themselves, is Jesus showing up in my life doing good in the world and for others? Because 
this generation doesn't just want to know, oh, you can, this is the apologetic about Jesus uh, living and dying on the cross and rising again. That's important to know that that's, that that's reasonable and rational, but this generation's a lot more interested in, is it good? Is the evidence in the goodness that I see? And I think that's a real challenge to us. And we didn't spend as much time in the book exploring that, but it was something that came out. And I'm finding as I keep talking about it with members of the generation and those that are older, that's a really critical theme, especially it seems over the last four years, a lot of people have been questioning the goodness of the church. And I think we need to really think about how we're being portrayed and uh, experienced. That's such a great place for us to finish there. Mark. That was a long wow. epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's more of another book that you've got to write. <laughs> uh, but uh, that insight there, um, we just, I just appreciate so much, especially as you said, being within the Salvation Army uh, and that being um, such a integral part of who we are and what we do. Um, but nevertheless, there's so much in what you said, though, uh, that I would imagine is a challenge for those youth leaders listening, uh, officers listening. For me, um, there's a great deal of what you've shared that I can be challenged by and encouraged by um, as we look to win young people uh, for Jesus all across the Southern Territory and, and wherever the Salvation Army is worldwide even. We really appreciate you being on the Youth Down South podcast, Mark. Uh, this is just a taste of what people can expect to find if they come to our Equip Conference, uh, April 25th through the 27th. Mark will be one of our special guest speakers in our one of our general sessions. So we're really excited to have Mark there uh, for that conference. And we're looking forward to hearing what he has to share uh, from uh, his research there as well. And perhaps Mark might work a magic trick or two into his presentation. I don't. I, I might have to now. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of let the cat out of the bag, didn't I? <laughs> I, yeah. I was like, man, if I had known this months ago, then we would have you know, been a full-on uh, magic set uh, equip, not uh, just uh, presenting. But you know, it's it's whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's great to have Mark uh, with us and to uh, be anticipating you're joining us at Equip. And Mark, thank you for your passion. Thank you for your passion for the kingdom and for uh, young people and for the mission of God uh, in our world today. You are uh, making such an impact in your research and in all that you do with Barna and in your other work. And so I just want to uh, end by saying thank you. Uh, your work is so valuable. Well, I just believe so much in the potential of this generation and for every person that is out there doing the hard work of trying to help this generation find and follow Jesus, keep it up. It is worth the effort. I know sometimes it can feel like a thankless job. You can wonder if you're really making a difference. The reason that I try to do this research and provide the resources and the support that I do is just to help make that work uh, more strategic, effective, and hopefully encouraging as well. It's, it's, it's so worth it. I still believe that the life of a young person is one of the best places to invest our time. Amen. Amen. Hello there, listeners. I am excited to talk to you about Equip Conference 2022. Our conference is happening April 25th through the 27th this year. 
and will be focused on our Ray strategic plan. We'll also be looking at the Orange Conference, which is occurring at the end of that same week. So come for both conferences here in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information and to register, please go to our website, youthdownsouth.org. We hope to see you at Equip this year. That's it for this episode of the Youth Down South podcast. For more info about the show, check out youthdownsouth.org.